Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. In this episode, we give you some tips on how to get out of your head, how to work on your mental health, especially if you don't have access to a therapist, and what to do if you are dealing with stigma affecting your intimacy. Lots of good tips are inside. Are you wanting to be empowered in the bedroom? Are you desiring to become sexually confident? Are you longing to embrace and embody your sexuality? Are you feeling stuck and shameful for your sexual desires? If any of these resonate with you, then the sexual empowerment EFT or emotional freedom technique is for you. EFT or tapping is a tool that is used to create quick and powerful shifts in the body, helping you move through stuck emotions and limiting beliefs. In the sexual empowerment EFT workshop, you will be guided through a powerful exercise to help you become the sexually empowered woman you are craving to be. October 26th, 4.30 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time will be when the Sexual Empowerment EFT workshop is. This will also be recorded if you are unable to attend the live or to continue using after the event. It is time for you to embody and embrace the sexual woman that you are. I cannot wait to see you there. Joining me today is Lauren. Lauren is a sex coach who is working to break down the stigma around sex. She has been working in the mental health space for four years now and is shifting her focus from art therapy to sex coaching. She helps women who want to get in touch with their sexual truth by guiding women to deepen their relationships with themselves by exploring what they want from sex. Can we get a hell yes? She also helps women to discover and communicate their wants and needs and to explore their bodies, empowering women to have the sex they deserve. So Lauren, I'm so excited to chat with you today more about being a therapist and working in the intimacy coaching field and how stigma affects sex and sexuality. I want to really just start with like, how does mental health impact sex and intimacy? I think it's huge. I think a huge piece of mental health is a lot of like shame and stigma. So like anxiety is really going to stem from anxiety. I think sometimes even depression can stem from the oppressive systems that we live in, things like that. So when you're dealing with those kinds of things, it's totally going to like creep its way into the bedroom. If you're feeling super anxious, how are you going to be able to enjoy sex? When in reality, if we get back in our bodies, we can kind of manage our anxiety when we like tap into our bodies and kind of let go of that shame and that stress, it can kind of, it can be a a coping mechanism to help deal with anxiety kind of thing as well. But yeah, I think too, it's like if we're super exhausted, super anxious, super depressed, why would we want to have sex? And also it could probably be on the other end of the spectrum to where it's like, we're so stressed and anxious that we want, all we want to do is have sex. So it can go, I would say, either end of the spectrum. 
Yeah, and I think that we're not talking about how mental health impacts sex at all. And it can go both ways. You know, it can be total suppression or hyposexuality, and then you can have hypersexuality from it. And then there's the other component of people who are being treated for mental health conditions and how that impacts their sex and intimacy as well. So with mental health and sex and intimacy, what do you find are like the biggest challenges when it comes to mental health? So if somebody has anxiety or depression and they're not being dealt with, how can that impact their sex and intimacy? Oh yeah, I think it definitely it's going to it's going to impact your entire life. So all the aspects of your life and you're going to probably not want to have sex or engage in sex, like just take anxiety for an example and let's even just think of women an example of no it I mean it could be it could be anybody because we live in these this world where we have so much we need to fit in this cookie cutter box and if we're not fitting in it something's wrong with us when in reality where there's no such thing as a cookie cutter where the spectrum of things and there's nothing wrong with us as long as we're not hurting anybody we're not like going against anybody's boundaries we could like anything we want we can be turned on by anything we want and that's really what I want to get people to tap into is their truth because the more we tap into our truth, the more we're going to be able to challenge these mental health issues as well. Yeah. And you're so empowered when you tap into your truth. When it comes to like somebody who has mental health conditions and it's impacting their sex life, what do you recommend for them? I mean, definitely, obviously therapy, going to see a therapist and The most important thing about therapy, I don't feel like is the tools and the skills and the things that we give you. It's just to have somebody to listen to you. How many people can you go to that don't say, or like hypothetically, you go to somebody and you complain about their boyfriend and your friends are like, oh, you need to leave him, like get him out of here. When in reality, you can go to a therapist and it's like, okay, what do you want to do? Is this meeting your need? Are you willing to put up with this? Are you not willing to put up with this? It's not, it's a conversation. It's a guide. It's not a a a black and white yes or no when a lot of our society is it's either right or it's wrong. And if it's wrong, it needs to get the hell out of here kind of thing. So yeah, talking to a therapist, non-judgment, being seen and heard and not having to feel shame after you've left the conversation. And then definitely mindfulness is going to be a huge factor tapping into the present moment. And I think a lot of times when people talk about mindfulness, people automatically go to meditation and It can be a meditation practice, but in reality, no, it can be as simple as I'm going to eat this peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I'm going to really feel it in my mouth. It's creamy. It's sweet. It's soft. I'm going to label all these things before I swallow it. And so it's just getting really intentional with the moment. And that incorporates into your sex life. You know, we watch, we see porn and we see how we're supposed to act and what it's supposed to look like when in reality, we need to tap into what's really what are we, we're not putting on a performance. This isn't a performance. This is a, it can, I mean, it can be a performance, but also it can be a deep intimate connection. It could be a quick bang, bang. It can be whatever we want it to be, but being in that present moment and really feeling that pleasure and not performing and getting in touch with ourselves and feeling all the good stuff, feeling the good stuff is really, we walk through life and there's so much bad. We need to connect to more good. And I think that's a huge impact on mental health is the amount of bad that goes on. Look at the trauma. Trauma is a huge one. 
if you're not, if you feel shame after an incident, that's usually what brings trauma into you. Like you're not able to, you didn't feel safe. You didn't feel secure. You felt shame after that situation. It's going to ingrain in your body and it's going to impact your life throughout your day. So really acknowledging what happened to you and that it wasn't your fault also can help people move through through some mental health traumatic experience and empower themselves to not have like they're not no longer the victim in that situation so that can also be helpful to get people to not be so impacted by their mental health and then connect connect back to their truth yeah i love that you brought up mindfulness and meditation that's one of the primary things that i work with a lot of clients on is that connecting to your five senses, doing meditation can really help you connect with your body and yourself, build your self-intimacy. I actually have a whole podcast coming out about mindfulness and connecting to your senses. And I think that that is a huge step that you can take if maybe therapy isn't an option for you, or if you're not ready for therapy, start with these things that you can do at home, like connecting to your five senses, go check out the podcast episode about that, or doing some self-pleasure meditations or other types of meditation where you're quieting the mind and listening. And when you connect with yourself and improve your self-intimacy, I think that partnered intimacy is so much better as well. And I did a whole women's circle recently, and this was actually the topic of our women's circle was intimacy, self-intimacy. Can you have partnered intimacy without self-intimacy? And what we all said is yes, but not to the same level that you could if you had good self-intimacy. And I think that mindfulness and connecting to your five senses are one of the best things that you can do to improve your self-intimacy. Yes. And then I would say second to that journaling journaling it out, getting it outside of yourself. Cause I like that you also brought up like not therapy is not always accessible, accessible to everybody and journaling like a journal to me is that's my therapist. That's my best friend. It's always there. There is no judgment. And again, connecting, getting it outside of you. So it's not inside of you always and alone. And also, so acknowledging what's going on, naming that, getting outside of you, But then also it allows you to kind of comprehend what's going on and then maybe set up a guide to what you need to do next. And there's so many like journal prompts out there that you can just probably Google something and it can help you kind of work through what you're going through if you're not able to access a therapist. Or if you have a therapist, take your journal to therapy kind of thing and process it with them. Mm, I love that. So my first part is a statement to that in that my partner right now he asks me every day, pretty much, what did you journal about? Because that is kind of an area of my life where when I go and journal, a lot of things come up for me. And then I can reflect back on them and share them to him if I want, um, if I feel like they're relatable or pertinent, I guess you could say. And journaling has been a very helpful tool for me. I will say I underutilize it. I should be using it more. I try to, I would like to use it more, (laughs) but I primarily use it in times of desperation, I guess you could say, or times where I'm emotionally like charged or when something is very predominantly coming up, then I definitely run for the journal, but I should be running for my journal daily just to reflect, like just to put it on paper and let it go. 
when I started journaling, my biggest question is, how the fuck do you journal? Like, what do you do? You just sit down and you start writing. And I think that a lot of people relate to that. So my question to you is like, how the fuck do you journal? Yeah, I get that so many times. I, you should see the people when I tell them, hey, I'm going to give you homework. You should go home and journal. And they look at me and I'm like, and I'm like, well, what's what's wrong? And they're like, I don't journal. And I go, this is a free write. This isn't a, you're not writing a paper to a professor and getting a grade on it. It doesn't have to have grammar. It doesn't have to correct spelling. I would suggest people sitting down and writing whatever the fuck they want, like free write it out. It does not matter. And then I also get, well, you know, if I read, read it again, I'll be, I'll have shame around it or I'll judge myself. So don't read it, burn it, get rid of it. Like just get, do it to get outside of you. I think, you know, the biggest core of shame is sitting alone. I'm alone in this feeling and I feel gross. And so you're giving yourself more power when you get that outside of you. I'm also an art therapist too. So I do, I haven't done a lot of art recently because I'm all virtual right now, but doing art and you could say hypothetically, like my anxiety, this is what my anxiety looks like. And I'm going to do a collage around it. That helps you name it. That helps you see it. That helps you. And like, you get the power. It's no longer like overpowering you. You have the power because it's in your hands. You get to do what you want with it. You can name it. Like you can burn it. Like there can be ceremony. So yeah, there's so much, so much you could do. You could do journaling as a collage. Oh crap. This fell out. You know, it could be I'm going to do a sketch. That's my journal today. Or it can be bullet points. It doesn't have to be. It's what you want it. You need it to be. I was journaling yesterday and I love that you brought up that just free flow, whatever comes to mind. And I will notice that like, I just journal about whatever comes up. There is no rhyme or reason. And if you actually were to go back and look at it, you'd probably be like, what the fuck? In that it, it makes no sense. But it was what the thoughts that were on my mind at the time that they were present and at the time that they were coming up. What I also do to help me is I go back and actually underline maybe some of the common themes or some of the really important things that are standing out to me or the things that I would like to share with my partner so that I don't have to go back and read him the whole thing. But I can say, hey, this came up. Just wanted to share it or wanted to talk more about it or whatever that is. And that's one way to utilize your journal too. It's a tracker. You can see, look how far I've came or, oh, I'm kind of reverting back, regressing back into this time to pull out like my coping skills or more support kind of thing to get myself back on track too. Mm. I didn't really get into journaling until last year, but the first time that I picked up a journal was probably about six years ago when I found out I was pregnant. And I had no fucking clue what to do in my situation. And I bought a journal and I'm like, I'm going to journal about this until I figure out what the hell I'm doing. And it was, it was so helpful. And I think I do still have that journal. And I only wrote like a page and a half because I wasn't sure how to write. And I was too in my own head about how to write. And so, yeah, it's it's interesting because it's it's a tool that you can utilize for many different things and not just when you have something coming up. Now, you brought up stigma and sex. I would love to expand on this more. And I think that stigma, both of us are HSV positive. Are you okay with me sharing that? Yes. Okay. I share it loud and proud. <laughs> yes. So both of us are HSV positive, And I think that 
I didn't realize how much stigma showed up in the world of sex until I got my HSV diagnosis. How do you feel like stigma shows up in the world of sex? Everywhere. Think about it. We started out with abstinent-based sex ed, don't have sex till marriage, and even though we're all fondling each other, like, are you kidding me? Every time you see a girl in short shorts walking down the street, what's the first thing that comes to your head? You're like, ooh, why is she she wearing that? Instead of like, oh, yes, girl, like, rock it. Or herpes jokes, sex worker jokes, like... Every single thing you can look for, the the sex stigma advertisements, it is literally everywhere. So it it makes sense that we have this negative connotation to sex when in reality, we're literally all humans and we're all doing it. And it's deemed this not normal, you're a slut thing (laughs) when it's natural, amazing. You get so much pleasure from it. It can open... Like, I feel like it can be spiritual. It can be, it can be whatever you want it to be. I'm reading this new book titled, So Tell Me About the Last Time You Had Sex by Ian Kerner. And one of the chapters in there, they talk about like, where did the Catholic world start viewing sex negatively? Because when you look at Roman I think like Greek God and Roman and all of like the gods, goddesses and gods from methodology, or I don't even know if I'm using the right terminology, but all of these like ancient things, sex was beautiful. Sex was highlighted in a positive sense. And they tell the story about where it switched from a positive world into kind of this, ooh, sex is dark, sex is negative. And started inducing stigma into sex. Mm-hmm. The one thing I wanted to point out that you brought up is different ways that we see it. One that comes to mind too is like kink. So, oh, well, you're into that. Ugh. When the reality is like, we are all kinky little fuckers. Somebody said that in one of my podcasts and I love it, but like, it's true. We all are, we all are a little kinky. I would say majority of us are not having just missionary sex. Majority of us probably like a little choking, a little hair pulling, a little spanking, mere play. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. You know, there is so much more to it. And I think that stigma shows up in the world of kink too. How do you feel like stigma impacts sex and intimacy? I mean, it shuts it down. (laughs) In it, you or. I think at the end of the day, like you still get in the nitty gritty because like of doing it. But I think there's also sometimes the, what am I trying to say? could be shame after you completed the act kind of thing. There's shame after it or there's shame in it. So I don't even do it. Or yeah, I think it it can fluctuate. It fluctuates. It can make it to where I don't want to have it. And I'm not able to be present and mindful in it because I'm so worried about whether this dude thinks I'm a slut or not. Or he heard me queef or does he, can I actually say what I want? Can I actually tell him how I want it? And is he going to think I'm a slut if I tell him I want it? And so living that, playing that audio tape versus being like, this is what I want and this is how I want it. And that's like my goal is to try to get women to get off that, that out of that audio tape and not have to feel shame and stigma when engaging in something that's pleasurable. Mm, I love that you brought up those situations because I think that there is so much stigma behind that. 
and especially as a woman empowered and knowing what she wants. And it's just sad that for me, I feel like I grew up in a world where I was here to please my partner mm-hmm. and make them happy. And if I tell them, oh, well, that didn't do it for me, or if I tell them something else, well, am I hurting their feelings? And this actually came up recently in my journal in that when I care about other people's feelings more than my own, I'm saying no to me and myself. And that's fucked up. Like my feelings and thoughts should come first and not like totally regardless to how it affects somebody else. But in a sense, like if I'm not putting myself first, who is? So yeah, it's interesting that stigma stigma shows up everywhere. I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit about the OG flow from Tracy's dog. I'm sure you might have already had a handful of clitoral orgasms and you might have even experienced some G-spot orgasms and you know that they are both good in their own way. But imagine if you can experience both of them at the same damn time in one phenomenal firework-like finale and you can have this whenever you want. The OG Flow is double pleasure device that lets you experience blended orgasms on your own during foreplay or even with a partner. It has that sucking feature that delivers a nice soft sucking sensation that is mm-mm-mm, so good while the flexible shaft delivers precise vibrations to give you immense internal pleasure. This toy is going to blow your mind quite literally. Go to tracysdog.com to order your Tracy's Dog OG Flow today. You can use the discount code JORDAN to save 15% off your purchase. Before you use it, make sure you have some towels ready just in case because you just might need them. With your HSV diagnosis, how did the stigma behind HSV impact you and your sex and intimacy? So that was like, I don't know, I feel like through, I'm pretty sure I contracted it when I was 23. I was with somebody, we had broken up. I'd went to the doctor, try to get tested between two tests coming back negative and them telling me, oh, I don't know what to do for you. It was probably 23, 24, 25, 26. I was 27 when I finally got diagnosed from a blood test. So this was literally five years of, I kind of had the feeling, but I didn't 100% know because the doctors weren't telling me like all my tests were coming back negative. So I was like, okay, I get these random sores. I'm pretty sure it's herpes, but nobody's confirming that. So (laughs) I'm not disclosing. I'm not doing the shit you're supposed to be doing. So I kind of had like a gradual coming to terms with it in a sense, because I was living with it. Something was going on, but the doctors weren't saying it. And so when I finally got diagnosed, it was kind of like, okay, I knew that already. And then I told my partner I was with at that time and he freaked out, (laughs) freaked out. And I was like, are you kidding me right now, dude? Like, chill out. This is not 
Like what that, like, you don't need to be freaking out right now. And he talked to his brother and found out his brother had it and it calmed him down a little bit. But so far that's been my only like negative interaction with anybody about it. So far I'm kind of new to dating, recently had a breakup. So I've been putting it just right on my profile and obviously we'll have another conversation if I end up meeting that person and we get intimate. But a lot of people feel like that's the end of their sex life. And I'm thankful that didn't happen for me. That didn't. That was me. When I got my diagnosis in 2020, as a PA, as a medical provider, I definitely was like, oh my God, my sex life is over. And I remember calling one of my good friends and I was like, dude, my sex life is fucking over. And she's like, no, I've had sex with people who have herpes and it's okay. You just, you know, you can take the pills or you can just make sure you're disclosing like all of these things. And I'm like, what? People still have sex? And it was crazy because that was my immediate first thought is that like, I am quote damaged goods and that nobody wants to have sex with me now. And my first disclosure was kind of the same way. He freaked out. This is the person who I believe I got it from. And two weeks later, he called me to come over. I went over because I love that toxic shit sometimes. (laughs) And the next morning he was like, oh, I have herpes now. And he showed me his sore. And I thinking about it, I'm like, it doesn't happen like that. It's like two weeks of incubation period. So I'm like, this is the fucker who gave it to me, who chose to never disclose with me. And it happens. Like it totally happens. And I chose that to assume that my person that gave it to me probably didn't know better. If it was in fact him, he knew better. But that's beside the point. And other than that, as far as disclosures have gone for me, I haven't had any other negative ones. I've had a lot of opportunities for education and a lot of questions, but I really haven't had negative disclosures. And I think that that's really important to take note of too, is that when you do get diagnosed with an STI or have something that has stigma associated with it, sometimes you just got to educate but it doesn't mean that it's bad or negative. A lot of times it comes down to education, which leads me to my next question. How do we reverse stigma? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about that too. Because like, if we were educated on all of these things, would there be stigma? I don't necessarily think there would be. So I think educate, 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 normalize, normalize, normalize is how to com- combat that. You know, we're not taught, we're taught to not have sex. And then we're taught condom sex is the safer sex. When in reality, all sex has a risk. There's Unless you're masturbating. That's the only sex that doesn't come with risk, really. So I think educating, like when you're engaging in sex, there are these are the following risks and you need to communicate with your partner and yourself about what risk you're willing to take. And so being totally educated on that if you get an STI, you're not dirty. There's nothing wrong with you because that's just a risk of having sex. And then that all STIs are manageable and treatable in whatever form Like there's either a medication for them and there's a medication for all of them. We even have medications to prevent you from getting them like prep for HIV and things like that. So yeah, education and that's going to empower us in our bodies and empower us to make the right choices for ourselves as well. If we know consent and boundaries also being taught, if we were taught that, how many sexual assaults would actually happen? Like, 
yes, there's some that are out of our control, but also like if I'm also in the backseat with my boyfriend and I don't actually want to do it, but yet I still go through and do it. If I would have known the, that I have autonomy in my body and that I don't have to do something for somebody else, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So. I think so many sexual assaults would be limited if we talked about consent and boundaries and informed consent, because I think that- And vice versa of them, of somebody um, perpetrating you, because I think sometimes the men don't just, they don't even freaking realize it. Yeah, yeah. I really think that they don't know and they don't think to check in closer to the act. Like you may, you like this happened to me in high school. Like I was really into it. And then when it came down to it, I didn't want to do it. And I vocalized that, but having had that consent prior to, they didn't realize that, hey, she's revoking consent. And what what the fuck does that mean? And I think that a lot of men, like it happens for those reasons that they're not necessarily trying to do it, but they don't know better. And with good education, that would make a huge difference. Learning how to communicate on both ends. Yeah. Comprehensive sex ed that included consent and boundaries, and then also talked about like what the hell pleasure is. I would love to see, you know, like a comprehensive sex ed that talked about how to pleasure yourself. How do you explore your own body? Because I feel like if I knew what I wanted at an earlier age or what felt good for me, it would have significantly impacted my sex life. And I can't say that I would have made different decisions, but probably would have. And I probably would have had a hell of a lot more safer sex and probably a lot less sex, but more safer sex. Exactly. If yeah. that makes sense. Yep, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so yes. I love it. Tell me a little bit about kind of what led you to go from being a therapist or specifically an art therapist to becoming a sex coach. So I was living in New Mexico, so I'm licensed in New Mexico and I can only take clients in New Mexico. And so I wanted to broaden that to all over the world so that I can help more people. And so that kind of transitioned me into wanting to do the coaching. I also sometimes being a therapist is a lot. It's fucking hard. It's not a fun job. I mean, it can be, but it's I sit and listen to trauma all day long. And so I also wanted to open up like a stream of, okay, sex coaching is focused on the here and the now and the goals that we're working on. And I don't necessarily have to go back into somebody's trauma timeline to help them kind of thing. And that's kind of how I would decipher therapy is going to go more, focus more on your past as to where coaching is going to be. This is our goal today. Almost like we're healing the past to help that comes into your current life and coaching's like present moment kind of stuff, which obviously past stuff is going to come bubble up into that. But I would say it's not going to be as intense. We're not going to be doing as an intense work in the coaching session. So yeah, helping me have a spectrum of ways to help people and also as a self-care practice. So I don't have to take on so much trauma because also the therapy world, the system, it's normal to see like I think if you work at a, when you're working in a treatment center or inpatient unit, you're required to see like 30 plus people. And when you're sitting there for eight hours a day, listening to trauma after trauma after trauma, like that burns you out so quickly. I think even right now I have 20 clients, 20 to 25 clients, and that's too much. I don't, I want to get that, cut that way back. So as a therapist, you're expected to work these really crazy hours for shit pay. 
<laughs> kind of thing as a self-care practice and me putting me first and not listening to the bullshit that I've been fed and gaslit. I'm stepping into my truth and becoming a coach because also a lot of therapists do the side eye when somebody becomes a coach and I don't care. I got the skills and the tools to be a coach and I'm going to help a lot of people in that way. So yeah. And truth. I think that they work well together, you know, definitely like therapy with, especially with the coaching, with the, the therapy background. And it's a lot like medicine. I can totally relate in that you have insurance dictating, you know, how much they're going to pay and how many people you need to see. And you got to do X, Y, and Z. And you can't actually do what's best for the patient. And you don't have the time to necessarily really help them. And when you step into the coaching space, it's very different. And it's more patient-centered or client-centered and a totally different approach. And so I totally, I absolutely understand where you are coming from. And I cut back my hours as a PA to 17 hours a week. And I see 15 patients, maybe a little bit more than that. But either way, I see maybe 17 patients a week. And it's so much different for my mental health when you have time for yourself and I'm able to be such a better clinician as well as a better person to myself and show up for my coaching clients. Whereas if I was doing full-time, that's just not possible. Right. And also there's an element of me decolonizing my therapy practice because the therapy world is a white male centered, lots of research is done on the white, like white male population the dsm is a whole not every like we're humans come on now and there's even you know s- sexual diagnosis in there and things that are <laughs> things that just should not should not be pathologized so that's kind of another reason i want to get away from it as well kind of transitioning because not everybody needs a diagnosis there's not necessarily in- something inherently wrong with you either I love that you brought that up on the book that I'm reading. I'm trying to find it in here real quick, but they talk about how Intel, not BDSM, but DSM-5 was the first time that they didn't classify core erotic themes or kinks in, in different sexual fantasies as a mental health condition. And that was in what, 2013-ish, you know, early 2000s. I can't remember, but something, something like that too late, you know? (laughs) Right, right. And so that again is where that stigma comes into sex and intimacy is that we're categorizing everybody who doesn't like missionary sex and only missionary Mm -hmm. sex as somebody who is got a mental health condition. And that's inaccurate. It's bullshit. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so is. Well, this conversation has been amazing. And I know that stigma shows up for a lot of us in the world of sex and intimacy. You know, even when you start looking at religion and sex, and it doesn't change overnight. You don't just go from living in a world where stigma is in your sex life to next day and it's it's gone. It's a work in progress for people who are dealing with stigma and intimacy what would you recommend they do? I would say, where are these messages coming from that says I have to be a certain way and really dissect that? Is this my mom telling me this is how I have to be? Is this the world telling me that how I have to be? 
And what do I like? Also, a lot of us don't know our needs and our wants because we're so worried about changing our ways to please everybody and to prevent conflict. And at the end of the day, the only thing we have control over is ourselves. Like I can't, no matter what I do, I cannot control how another person's going to react to me, whether they love me, whether they're going to come after me, whether they're going to yell at me. I have no control over that. And so really tapping into focusing on yourself and not trying to control another person and putting yourself first and tapping into what what you want. Like, again, mindful, being mindful. What is true for me right now in this present moment? Mm, I love that. One last question before we wrap things up, kind of going back to mental health conditions. One of the most common side effects of many medications that people take for different mental health conditions, specifically anxiety and depression, is anorgasmia. How do you support clients who are dealing with anorgasmia or the inability to orgasm? So I going back again, back to the mindfulness, and then also trying to not shame yourself because something's not happening. I think a lot of our sex is orgasm is the goal when in reality, pleasure is the goal. And if we get to orgasm, cool. I recently just read a, or was listening to a, I was doing something for my classes and he was talking about as soon as you put a goal to something. So sex is a primal thing. There is no goals. It's like being a little kid. You just want to have fun. You just want to engage in fun things. And as soon as you put a goal in there, you're going to shut that funness down. There's no, you're going to take the pleasure off the table because you're in your head thinking when in reality, you should just be feeling, even though our brains are basically our, our sex organ. I feel like, I feel like we have orgasms in our brain or like our brain is what causes an orgasm. So, but getting out of the thinking part of your brain and just that feeling is what I would say would help that. Yeah. And really focusing on the pleasure that you're receiving. Exactly. And that it still feels good, even if you're not orgasming. And focus on being present with your body and what feels good, which is where that meditation comes in. And having fun, having fun, like play around, get some ice out, get some warm stuff out, get some feathers out. Like, yes. Don't set limits. Yes. I love that. If the listeners take one thing away from today's conversation, what would you want it to be? You're normal. You, anything that turns you on, that you want to play out, any fantasy that you have, you are completely 100% normal. As long as it's not harming anybody else, uh, you are normal. There's nothing wrong with you. Mm, I love that. I love normalizing our bodies and our desires. Where can the listeners find you at? So my Instagram is sex stuff with low. Um, I'm only on Instagram right now. <laughs> I haven't gone to the other places. I actually am going to do try to be more on Freya at Oh Yeah Coaching. Oh Yeah Coaching is my coaching business. Yeah. Beautiful. And is there anything else you'd like to share with us? If you want to work with me right now, I have a sexual truth defined program where we kind of talk about getting rid of the shames, the stigma, identifying your values, knowing your body parts and tapping into your truth so you can walk in it. Well, yes. And that's exactly why I wanted to have this conversation with you because you focus on really the stigma and the shame of sex and sexuality. And so that's why I wanted to have this conversation. So thank you so much for chatting with me. Of course. Thank you for having me. 
This podcast is sponsored by Intimacy Coaching by Jordan Donnell. Have you ever desired more from your sex life or feel like you're having good sex but curious about how to make it even better? Are you desiring a deeper intimate connection with yourself? Or maybe you are dealing with desire and arousal concerns or struggling with communicating your desires with your partner. If you're hearing this and thinking, hmm, that might be me, and you're curious to learn a bit more, let's chat. I would love to talk with you more to see if working with me is a good fit for you. To learn more about intimacy coaching with Jordan Donnell, go to coaching.jordandonnell.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.